please join me in welcoming to the Distinctive Voices podium, Dr. Jeffrey Miller. All right, thank you. And uh, first off, I'd like to thank the uh, Distinctive Voices for inviting me to come and speak here tonight. Uh, it's quite an honor. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to pose some interesting questions for all of you, and you'll be able to see possibly how we can go about trying to solve some of these questions that a lot of people say are currently unsolvable. So here's an outline of how, what I will discuss tonight. Just give you an overview of where we are right now with driverless vehicles. I'm sure a lot of you have seen the news lately. You see Google in the news on nearly a daily basis with their driverless vehicles. Uh, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas had a lot of uh, driverless vehicles and intelligent transportation. So I'll just give you just an overview of what the current state is, some of the technologies that are used there, and then really jump into what we're going to talk about tonight, which are some ethical questions which you all have seen on your survey before the, the talk tonight. <clears throat> to start off, just so that we understand what are we talking about when we say driverless vehicle? We all drive. We all know what cars are. Where do these fit in? Well. NHTSA, uh, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, says that there are five different levels of automation that we have. The first one, level zero, no automation. This is how all of us probably grew up driving, where there was very little or no automation in the vehicle. Level one, a lot of vehicles that are being sold now have a level one automation. There's some specific function, adaptive cruise control, assisted parallel parking, the windshield wipers that detect water so that they'll come on automatically. That would make it part of a level one uh, automated vehicle. Level two, when we can combine more than one function, uh, and have them work together on a specific task. So this could be lane detection and correction along with adaptive cruise control. We're seeing this in some of the newer vehicles that are being released now also, where you can set your adaptive cruise control, take your hands off the wheel, it'll actually stay in the lane for you. That would make it a level two vehicle. Level three, limited self-driving automation. You set the vehicle and say, I want you to go from this point to this point, and hopefully it's going to make it there without you having to take over control. That would be level three. We're seeing very few of those, if any, that are actually being sold right now, but a lot of them are being developed in the research world. Level four, full self-driving. I get into my car when I'm at home, I type in the address of my work, I sit back and read the paper all the way there. That would be a level four. Now. Um, I wanted to make a distinction here between automated driving and autonomous driving because we see these words thrown around a lot and they actually have a difference. When we talk about a driverless vehicle, it's going to fit into one of these three categories. Assisted driving is when the driver is going to tell the vehicle, do something for me right now. The vehicle is helping the driver out with something turning the adaptive cruise control on. The vehicle's gonna help out at that point, make sure, hopefully, you don't collide with the vehicle in front of you. That's assisted driving. Automated driving is what we're seeing in the news right now. This is going to be a vehicle that makes decisions all based on local inputs, though. So it's going to be from video cameras and LIDAR and radar and all these sensors that we have around the vehicle, but all of the decisions are made from local inputs that are coming into the vehicle. This is what we're seeing in the news currently. 
The next phase that we are going to see is autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles add on to the automated portion and add in communication with the outside world, whether this is vehicle to infrastructure, vehicle to vehicle, or through some other means. But there's going to be communication coming in from the outside world that helps to determine what the vehicle is going to do, what decisions the vehicle makes. We aren't seeing a lot of this. There are some manufacturers who are saying, we're going to put in some vehicles vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication. Toyota specifically in some of their new Lexus models are putting this in so that they can have platooning with their Lexus models. That means if these two, two vehicles both have this uh, communication means, they'll be able to drive approximately five feet away from each other at nearly 70 miles per hour because they are in constant communication with each other. As soon as that communication link drops, it, the trailing vehicle immediately goes back to the adaptive cruise control and will back off from the leading vehicle. This is one of the most promising means that we have to improve the capacity that we have on the existing infrastructure of the roadways. We are going to see more of this happening. UC Berkeley came out with a study a couple years back where they did this with trucks. They did it with semi-trucks. And their reason wasn't so much to try to increase the capacity on the roadway, but to figure out if draft would actually improve the economy of the trailing vehicles. And in fact, it does. So we are going to see this also coming into vehicles in the future. So where are we now? What do we currently have? Manufacturers around the world are adding intelligent features into their vehicles. Mercedes in their S-Class is advertising up to 70% automation. Um, they have their intelligent drive, adaptive cruise control, active lane keeping assist, collision prevention, parking assist, the backup camera. They have so much in this with all of the video cameras and the radar that the vehicle, when it's on a free-flowing road, a highway, the driver can sit back and take his hands off the wheel. In the current uh, versions of the vehicle, uh, it works that way up to 37 miles per hour already. <laughs> However, Mercedes just did, uh, a, a, um, they just did with Bertha Benz, uh, the first drive that she ever took in a Mercedes Benz was approximately 100 miles, and Mercedes just did it in their new S-Class, which is coming out with the intelligent drive, um, completely autonomously from end to end. So this is going to come out within the next couple of years where you're going to be able to take your hands off the steering wheel at least when you're on free-flowing highways. Um, I actually have the privilege of owning uh, a Mercedes that has the adaptive cruise control and the lane keeping assist and let me tell you the first time that I drove it and I set it, I took my hands off the wheel I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You see the wheel kind of turning as you go around turns and when you're on the freeway. And then when I see about three or 400 feet ahead of me that I see brake lights starting to come on, uh, my car didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and it took a little bit of trust on my part to say, uh, do I hit the brake yet or am I going to trust this feature? Uh, when it gets within about 200 feet, it does slow down. It slows down quite quickly, especially if the vehicles in front of you are stopped. You're going very slow. Uh, to date, I haven't been in a collision with it yet. So let's keep our fingers crossed it keeps working like that. <laughs> uh, BMW, they've made a lot of news, especially at CES just recently, last week in Vegas, where they had uh, a smart watch. 
that the driver gets out of the vehicle when he pulls up to uh, a store, says, go find a parking spot for me. Walks into the store and the car just drives around the parking lot, <laughs> pulls into a parking spot that it finds. The driver comes back out of the store, says, come get me car, and backs out of the parking spot, comes up and picks the driver back up at the door. <clears throat> Not the first vehicle that did it, BMW just debuted this at uh, CES though. Uh, BMW is also up there uh, with Mercedes and all of the intelligent features that they have on vehicles. So we're going to see some of these coming out there as well. Google, like I said, has made the news tremendously lately, and I can't advocate for what they're doing enough. Google has said they do not want to get into the vehicle manufacturing world. They want to partner with vehicle manufacturers and utilize their software in an OEM fashion. I think this is absolutely where Google excels, and I think that we need to leave this to the vehicle manufacturers that already do a great job creating cars. Google's created their little model that you see up here on the screen. It seats two people. They've made it a little bit safer where they have foam on the front and it's kind of a, you know, it, the, the windshield won't break if it hits something. So they're kind of preparing that while they're in testing, if something goes wrong, they're trying to make it a little bit safer, obviously not caring so much about the aesthetics of the car. <laughs> but Google making the news, uh, being in the media as much as it is, absolutely what we need for public acceptance is people to realize that this is something that's happening. It's no longer a question of if, but now it's a question of when are we going to see these vehicles on the road. And the more that this can get in the news and people can realize that the technology is coming, the more likely we will all be to accept it once it gets here. Uh, Toyota came out with their Lexus models. This picture was taken, I think, in 2012. Again, you see that it's not so aesthetic, but this is in the research world. Same idea with all of the functionality that it has on it. Very similar hardware, even, to the other vehicles that I've shown you here. GM also is in the mix here. GM just announced that they want to partner with Google on including their software in their vehicles. The first major manufacturer who said they want to get into talks with Google, it just happened within the last week. Um, because Google's G, uh, CEO, I mean, sorry, GM CEO uh, at CES this past week said, we're not so interested in being the first to market for autonomous vehicles, but what we want to do is be able to make them affordable. So they're waiting for other companies to come out more with the technology and then they can bring the price tag down and make it more affordable to the general population. <clears throat> Audi, I put this one in here. I don't want to bore you. I could go through nearly every manufacturer and a lot of research labs. So this is my last one that I have with Audi. And the only reason I put this one in here is Audi was the first company to... Uh, get a driverless license in the state of Nevada. And you see their cool little license plate there with the infinity symbol on it. <laughs> Currently, there are only three states that allow driverless vehicles on their roads. Nevada being one of them. It was the first one. Anyone else? California. And Florida was the third one. Those are the only three that currently allow them on the roads. <clears throat> Where are we going then? What can we expect? Well, Mercedes at CES presented this F015 model that they have here. So that's the top two pictures that you see. The driver's seat completely turns around, becomes a luxurious living space. 
Four passengers can ride in here in luxury. The vehicle is going to take them to where they want to go. This was a concept car that they had, and they actually brought it to CES and drove down the strip at midnight in this. Now, Nevada doesn't have a law where you can have a driver not sitting at the steering wheel, so the driver's seat actually was turned around so that there was somebody who could take over control in the event that they needed to. However, there was no need. Uh, the picture in the top right, this is uh, the car from the outside. You see they've made it look very futuristic. Um, it's part of their, their plan for luxury in motion. That transportation is no longer going to just be a means of getting from one place to another, but you'll be able to accomplish something, and just like Mercedes has always done, do it in luxury. These two that we have down here at the bottom, just other concept vehicles, um, for what can we expect in the future. Um, I don't know if we're going to see a whole house or a one-bedroom apartment like we see down there on the bottom left. It does look kind of futuristic and cool, but I'm not sure if we're going to see that one for quite a number of years. Um, but the one on the right-hand side, bottom right, where you see she's got a keyboard in her hand, you've got a monitor in front of you, this is what it's going to be like. You see in the Mercedes one here on the top left, there's screens around the outside, touch screens so that you can interact with the outside world while you're in um, the comforts of your car. <clears throat> so next, what are the technologies? What are the things that already exist to allow us to do this? Now, I didn't want to go through a whole bunch of technical details of all of these different technologies, and there's more than what I've just listed on this slide. One of the biggest uh, technologies that are in use in a lot of these vehicles currently is LiDAR. So this is a, a form of laser. It gives us a 360-degree view, a dot matrix. That uh, image that you see over there on the right-hand side is what comes back from LiDAR. Um, the top left image uh, right in here, this is what one of the LiDAR devices looks like. Um, and so it gives us a lot of information in a 360 degree view of what's going on around us. Based on different distances, we know how far things are. Based on different densities, how fast something reflects back, we can uh, try to predict or identify what the object is even. And that's what you see in that image there on the right, that you see which ones are trees, which ones are cars, which ones are buildings, based on the different colors that have been coded there. Radar, not a new technology. I'm sure many of us have been caught uh, by a radar. It's the same technology, just put on our car instead of in a police officer's hand. And it's just detecting how far away we are from another object. If you have two of those points and you know what the time is between them, you can figure out how fast a vehicle is going. It's nothing new, no new technology there, but this is the technology that's used in adaptive cruise control. This is the technology that's used in collision prevention. So not necessarily a new technology, just maybe a new application to an older technology. Accelerometers. Um, it doesn't look like we probably have a lot of people in the room tonight that play video games. Holding on to one of those little controllers and tilting it left and right, it's an accelerometer that lets you know that you've moved at a certain uh, number of degrees in each direction. We have these in vehicles also to let us know if you're turning too fast. So the uh, slip resistant that we have in some vehicles where if you're starting to lose traction, it's going to correct and take power away from one of the wheels and move it to another. One of the ways they could do this is with an accelerometer. Video cameras, inexpensive, and one of the best ways that we have for identifying objects around us. Uh, LiDAR, still very expensive. It is coming down in, in price right now, but Google's vehicle 
when they built it originally, the one that they had on, originally they had a Lexus vehicle that they were using. The price tag for that with the LiDAR and all the sensors that they had, over $200,000. Obviously not something which is very affordable to the large consumer market. However, video cameras can provide us with very similar data. It can see what's going on in the outside world. We're going to have to process it a little differently. We need to figure out the depth of the objects that we have. But with stereo cameras, where you have more than one of them, we're able to do this. And with more intelligent algorithms that are going to come in computer vision, we're going to be able to see more and more use of video cameras on vehicles. And how much does a high-end HD webcam cost? 100 bucks? A lot less than the $150,000 price tag on LiDAR. Um, so we're, that's what we're seeing more in the current vehicles that are on the road right now. If they have these technologies, they're going to have video cameras mounted inside of the windshield right behind the rear view mirror typically for detecting uh, objects. GPS receiver, again, not something that's very new, but we need to know where we are, at least in a general sense, and then you can use the environment to try to figure out more specifically where you are. Vehicle communication within the vehicle and outside of the vehicle. I can't tell you how many talks and discussions I've been in at conferences that said, how are vehicles going to communicate? Are we going to utilize the cellular network, 4G, 5G, whatever the next technology is going to be? Do we need to have new hardware put on the sides of the roads for vehicles to be able to communicate out to the outside world? Can we use Bluetooth? How about Wi-Fi? IEEE has 802.11n. This is what most of us are using for wireless on our computers right now. They're coming out with 802.11ac, one that you might not all have heard of. In the vehicular world, 802.11p is the Wi-Fi technology for vehicles. So it, the standard is already out there that we can use it. The problem, we need to have Wi-Fi receivers and routers out there in the world. And we have to put them along the roadway so cars can communicate with them. My own opinion on this, we already have a multi-billion dollar cellular network. You're going to continue expanding the data, the bandwidth that's able to be used on that network, and we're going to be able to utilize it for multiple purposes. Why would we invest billions additional dollars to put up another network where one already exists? <clears throat> and other hardware that we could add to uh, cars. I know that I've missed some here. There's a lot of different sensors that we have on vehicles, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more hardware that comes out in the future. So the current state, we need improvement on the hardware. We've already seen improvement on LiDAR. It's gotten smaller because not very many people want to buy a vehicle where you have a two-foot device sitting on top of the vehicle that spins around. Okay? We need improvements in this if we're ever going to use it, not only in the price tag, but the looks of it. And it is starting to come down. It's starting to get smaller. We're able to embed it in a little bit other places. Uh, some vehicles can put it maybe in the, da uh, sorry, in the grill in the front of the car. However, you're not getting 360 degree range then. You might be able to get 180, 160, and then you're going to need one in the back as well. So if the price comes down enough, that's probably a very good solution that we can hide it, but we're not going to get the 360 degree view from it then. So we need improvements there. As you see, the GM vehicle that I have up there in the top right corner, it's just not something that consumers are probably going to buy. It might be something that academics buy, but not something that the consumers will want. Um, improvements in the precision of the hardware as well. As video cameras start to have higher definition, as radars are able to pinpoint more specifically objects in front of them, we can identify more of what's around us where uh, in the computer, we're going to know what everything is and where everything is. We're going to have a lot more applications there as well. Software, 
Software is great. Now, I'm, I'm a computer scientist. I might be a little biased on this, okay? Software works. We see driverless vehicles out there. You see them working. Google advertising over a million miles driven without a collision. This is great. So the software is there. Is there more work to be done? Of course. There's always going to be more work that can be done. Computer vision just got a brand new application area. There's been a lot of application in computer vision, specifically with the military. We've heard about drones for a long time. This is one big application of it. Now we're seeing another one, which is going to be huge as well. Um, how the software is going to respond when it has all of this data, like what you see in the bottom right image there. How are, what are we going to do with it? Um, it's an unknown environment. We haven't seen this before. Even if you have driven down that road before, you're going to see something different the next time you do because there might be a car in front of you the next time. Maybe there's wildlife on the road. Maybe there's a car coming the other direction, motorcycles. You don't know what's going to happen. So you always are probably going to be seeing something different each time you drive down a road. So we're going to constantly need to update uh, the data that your vehicle thinks for what it's looking around. This is kind of fuzzy logic that goes into that. We need software that thinks or even reasons. You all took that, uh, the little uh, survey about the ethical questions. The software's got to think. We as human drivers get into a situation and when we took our driving test, they didn't test us on every situation. I bet not a single person on their driving test had to answer any of the questions you just had on that survey. <laughs> However, you all are expected to react if that situation arises. Why? Because we can reason. We can think. We can adapt to the environment and figure out what we think the best solution is going to be. Are we right? Sometimes. Not always. But we're able to think and reason through based on a lot of parameters that we have coming in. This is what we need the software in driverless vehicles to also be able to do. Most programming that we have in the world is deterministic. Given some set of inputs at a given state, you know what the output is going to be. You should always get the same output in deterministic programming. If you possibly could have different outputs based on the exact same inputs, this is called non-deterministic programming. This is very difficult to test because you don't know whether you're getting the right answer or not if you can't verify what the answer is supposed to be. This is part of the situation that we are in with driverless vehicles, though. Um, regardless of whether we're doing deterministic or non-deterministic programming, what are the inputs that we need to consider for driverless vehicles? How many inputs do we have to have? Do we know what the defined output is? Is there a defined output or could it possibly be different with the same set of inputs based on a different situation? So, I pose a statistical question to you here. Let's assume that the Dodgers have won 90% of the games that they've played in the last 10 years when they played on Tuesdays and months that end in Y. Would you bet on them on a Tuesday in May? Well, it depends. We don't know everything. We're taking a very, very small piece of data saying, here's what I can tell you. But we're, I didn't tell you anything that the manager just left. Their number four hitter just got traded to the Angels. Uh, their pitcher is on the DL right now. 
I didn't tell you anything else about the team. Without having more information and just having that, I'm not sure if that's such a smart bet. Maybe if you knew that nothing else had changed in the last 10 years, which all, we all, of course, know isn't the case, then that would be a good bet. But if you don't know all of the inputs, how can you say that that's a good bet? So related to driverless vehicles, something that I want you to think about as we're going through the rest of this talk, what variables do we need to consider? How can we make a decision based on just certain pieces of data? How much do we really need before we can make a more educated decision? And that brings me into our ethical questions. So here was the trolley problem, the first question that you all had on your survey. We have a runaway trolley that will kill five people, but you happen to be standing on the side of the tracks. You can pull that lever, and you can direct the trolley to kill only one person instead of five. What would you do? Well, we tallied up all of your numbers. 97% of you would pull the lever. Now, that was very interesting to me, that only two people out of the 77 that we had said that they would not pull the lever. Because there's different... Uh, philosophical ideas behind this. Was it your responsibility that the trolley was uh, running away? But now you took the responsibility of someone's life. So, let me ask you, could one person's life be more valuable than five people's? Well, if you answer yes to that question, why did 97% of you say you would pull the lever? <clears throat> what if that one person went on to become a great doctor who saved more than five lives? Was that a smart decision? Of course, we don't know. We can't predict the future and know what that one person is going to go on to become. But it's a question that you should have considered. What if the one person who you all decided to kill... was a pregnant woman. Would you still pull the lever? What, is that only two lives to you? So yes, it's still better than five? <laughs> what if that was your spouse? <laughs> okay, okay. Let's assume, for the sake of this argument, you're not going through a divorce with her, okay? <laughs> or, what if it was a murderer? <laughs> On the other hand, what if the five people were murderers? Would you then let the trolley go? What if they were children? What if it was your family? And that brings us into driverless vehicles. With no additional information other than five people on one track and one on the other, do you know which direction would minimize the overall impact? <clears throat> I don't even know what it means to reduce the overall impact. 
How can you classify that? Reducing the death toll? Okay, we can do that. Reducing the pain that the friends and families are going to suffer? I don't know if we can do that one. Improving the future of society? How do we know which one of those people is going to go on to do great things? What would you need so that you could make a more informed decision, though? Gender? Age? Marital status? Family situation? Career? Education? Religion? Criminal history? He's got a good personality. The potential of that person in the future. Which of these would you need so that you could make a decision and be okay with it? This is what we have to decide. We have to program vehicles to make a decision. What data do we need so that we can make sure we're making the right one? Or is there a right one? Let's take this example. Now, some of you may wonder, why did I put a moose in the middle of the road? <laughs> well, if you read my biography, I came from the University of Alaska before coming to USC. <laughs> in Alaska, we have moose that wander the roads. And unfortunately, when you hit one at a high rate of speed, it's usually fatal. <clears throat> so that may be, have, I, maybe I should have included that uh, in the question that I, <laughs> in the survey. So let's say we're in the middle of a three-lane road. We have cars next to us on each side, a moose in our lane. Assume we can't stop before hitting the moose. We have three choices. You swerve right hit that car, you swerve left, hit that car, or you continue on with your current path and you hit the moose. What do you do? Well, 56% of you said, I'm going to hit the moose. And then uh, the other 44% of you said, I'm going to swerve left or right. I'm curious to know why people chose left or right. <laughs> Did you save yourself? Swerve right so that you have more protection for the driver. <laughs> Possibly one of the reasons. But you only had three choices there, so I gave you all three of them to answer. Uh, but this was a pretty close one, okay? Close to a 50-50 split here uh, with the sample that we had. So what if now we know that we're by ourselves and the neighboring vehicles both have families of four? Would it change your opinion? What if these were school buses full of children? What if they were motorcycles? Probably, maybe. What if one motorcyclist had a helmet on and the other did not? <laughs> Would you choose to punish the law-abiding one or the one who wanted to be safer? Because you know there's most likely impending death if you hit the one that's not trying to be safer. Or do you punish the one and say, well, you should have been safer and worn a helmet. How do we make the decision? All right, our windy mountain road. You're on a windy mountain road, only one lane, and you come around to turn to a vehicle coming in your direction, and you can't avoid it. So your choices... You have a head-on collision, or you drive off the cliff. The one person who answered that question and said it's a poorly designed road. 
perhaps. <laughs> well, let's say you're on that poorly designed road. What do you do? 92% of you said stay in the lane. You're going to cause a head-on collision rather than driving off the cliff. I find that one interesting. And now I'm going to change your answers. What if you were by yourself coming upon a car with a family? <laughs> Stick with your answer. <laughs> what if your family was with you? Would that change your answer? How about if it was a motorcycle? I don't even know if it'd matter if he had a helmet on or not. <laughs> okay, this one, another interesting answer that we had here. Should law enforcement be able to disable operation of a vehicle if the occupants have done something illegal? A show, I don't know if it's still on, I saw a few episodes of it, I thought it was really interesting, called Bait Car. Anyone see that show? They set up a car in some area, it's got high... Uh, theft, high auto theft. They leave the keys in the car, jump out, make some big scene like some guy's got to run off to do something and then just watch as people are walking by and they look in, see the keys still there and see if somebody's actually going to steal the car. And they've got undercover cops who are just sitting around waiting for it to happen. As soon as someone gets in and takes off, they've got video cameras on the inside of the car. They've got technology in the car so that they can kill it at any point that they want and the car just rolls to a stop. So they follow it until it gets into an area where it's not going to cause any harm to the public or to any other vehicles. And it's so funny that the people in the car are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person just jumped down and left their keys in here. You know, we got to get this to the chop shop right now or we're going to take this over here. Let's go for a cruise in the car. And then all of a sudden the car just starts to slow down. They're like, what's going on? The guy in the passenger seat, there's two of them, is like, man, hit the gas. What are you doing? And then they see the lights in the back. You know, the, the police car comes back there, and they're both trying to bust out of the car, and they've locked the doors. They can't even open them. So now they're trying to break the windows to get out. But of course, by the time they do, even if they can, now they're already surrounded by officers. And uh, I think, I mean, it's, it's an interesting show to watch and see how many people actually do try to steal uh, cars. Um, so would it be useful if police officers or law enforcement was able to disable a vehicle for whatever reason? If someone's trying to run from them, they're trying to just make a traffic stop and they run, high-speed chases, done. We won't have any of them anymore if they could disable them. Stolen cars, kill it where it is. GPS on it, we'll go pick up the car and find it. Okay, this sounds good, right? Well, 71% of you thought it sounded good. The other 29, I don't know. Jury's out on it. Let's see why. What if uh, law enforcement was able to do this? That means from the outside of the vehicle, we could send a signal to the vehicle to disable it. How are we limiting that to law enforcement? This is just a computer network at that point. That means that people will be able to hack it at some point. We're going to need some really good security. A lot of research going on in security with vehicular communication. Don't get me wrong. However, you want to know what the safest type of computer network is? The one where your computer is unplugged. That's the safest one. Anytime you have any type of a network connection, you're susceptible to attacks. 
Now, when we're on the road, you're driving a one to two ton massive killing machine. Do we really want to let hackers have access to that? Would you even purchase a vehicle knowing that someone else could disable it, even if it was only law enforcement? Would you want to buy that vehicle? <laughs> okay, our next question. Should driverless vehicles be allowed to do something illegal to avoid a collision or reduce the impact of one? Overwhelming, 96% said yes. All right. Um, should the driver or should a driverless vehicle allow the driver to take over control and perform a dangerous or fatal task though? Should the driver be able to swerve into oncoming traffic knowing that it's going to make a cause a head-on collision? Possibly. I don't know. Would you want to allow this? What if we had, when we get to the day, and it's going to be decades from now, if we ever got to a point where on the road on which you're traveling, you had 100% of the vehicles were driverless, would you want a driver to be able to take over control of one of the vehicles? We assume driverless vehicles are safer than, than ones driven by humans, right? No. <laughs> Let me see. I'll give you a statistic in a second on that one. <laughs> okay. Moving on to our last section here. Law and ethics. We hope that the law reflects the ethics of the majority of society. Is this always the case? 64% said yes with 36% saying no. But ethics and society change. We had prohibition at one point. Uh, abortion, always a hotly debated topic. Physician-assisted suicide, we've seen this recently in the news. Legalization of marijuana, hitting a number of states currently. Gay marriage, very big in the news right now. Our ethics change in society over time. This is why we don't have laws that stay the same. This is why we have legislatures that change laws and enact new ones, because they do change occasionally. Whether for the good or the bad, the bottom line is they change. There is some sort of immunity that we do grant for drivers, for human drivers who make split decisions. If you're in one of these situations that I've just presented and you make one of those situations and somebody dies, most of the time, not always, of course, the law is not black and white. Human drivers are granted immunity, though. If you're in a terrible situation and you have to react, whether it was the best decision or not, you're usually, more often than not, given immunity. You're not going to serve prison time. We have lower sentences even if they think you were being reckless. So we have lower sentences where you're not going to, to prison for decades because someone died in a, an accident in which you were involved. However, what if we think out the answers to those questions that I just posed? What if we all have thought about it for a long time and I programmed my car to drive head-on into that car coming around the corner on that mountain road and I kill a family of four? Should I be held more liable? Because I thought about this. I told my car to do this. It wasn't a split decision at that point. I reasoned through it and that was my decision. 
We need legal regulations before driverless vehicles hit the market. This is one of the main reasons why we don't see it yet. It's not that the technology is not there. We see driverless vehicles in the news. The reason is because who wants to be the first to market on this? When that vehicle, and I didn't say if, when that vehicle is involved in a collision, who's liable? If we don't have legislation yet, whoever got in that collision is going to sue everyone. They will sue the driver, the vehicle manufacturer, the software producers, any OEM product manufacturers they can possibly find that are connected to the vehicle. And then you're going to have what we can only hope would be a competent judge who gets to figure out where the liability lies. We need legislation before that happens. So does the ethical responsibility rest with society or with the individual? You all answered these questions differently. Some of the questions, very close to a 50-50 split, a little bit more in one way or the other. But individuals have their own morals. You're going to have your own answers to these questions. Perhaps the driver should get to decide. Should we have a series of questions? Maybe not these exact ethical questions, but a series of questions that an operator of a driverless vehicle gets to go through and answer. And that tells the driverless vehicle how to do act in certain situations. Maybe I'm going to be much more conservative. I have a daughter. She's very young. I want to protect myself, even if I'm by myself, because she depends on me. Maybe I'm single. I'm young. You know what? I'm good flying off a cliff if I can save someone else's life. So whatever the case may be, maybe it's up to the operator of the driverless vehicle. Note, you will have an operator. These videos and articles that you read that say, um, I'm going to be able to go out to the bar, I'm going to be able to get drunk, and I'm going to be able to take a driverless vehicle home. It's not going to happen for a number of years. You're going to need somebody to be able to take over control of the vehicle. It's going to be like autopilot in airplanes. Now, the pilots take off, they get up to about 5,000 feet, they push the little autopilot button, and then they sit there and they wait. And when something goes wrong or there's something that needs attention, there's a loud buzzer and flashing lights that go off to alert them. And then they need to figure out how to react to it. Why in the world are people saying that that's not going to be the case when we end vehicles? This is exactly what's going to happen. A vehicle is going to need somebody to take over control of it in the event of a problem. So you're not going to be able to go out and not be able to control the vehicle. You're not going to be able to send your kids to school without one of them knowing how to operate the vehicle. Someone has to be able to take over control. I'm not going to be so short-sighted to say that we're never going to see a vehicle where that's going to be the case. But it's not going to be within the next few years because we have a lot of bugs that we still need to work out in these vehicles. <clears throat> so... Driverless vehicles need to be programmed. We have to tell them, behave like this in this situation. If they're not programmed for specific situations, they're going to behave as if that situation never arose. If it doesn't know what to do, if there's obstacles on both sides and in front of it, then it's going to drive straight. Because that's what it was doing before it got into that situation. So these situations I pose, hopefully these are boundary cases. Hopefully none of us have ever even been in one of these situations, and hopefully we never will. However, 
Once these hit the market, I guarantee you, they will. We will see this situation along the way. And we need to either program the vehicle to respond to it or let it just continue on its path. And I don't think that that's really the best way to do it. Do we need to figure this out now? I say absolutely. We don't want to wait until something happens. Over 90% of vehicle crashes are caused at least in part by human error. So now let me ask again, will driverless vehicles be safer than human-driven ones? I don't believe any of us have a, uh, have a product, have a computer, that fails more than 90% of the time. Even if it blue screens, your computer crashes, your phone crashes, whatever it may be, it's not 90% of the time. <clears throat> so, I'll open it up for questions now. <clears throat> 